this morning, we have the pleasure of beginning Romans chapter 8. And uh, I've got to tell you, as I've known chapter 8 was coming, I still feel, I, I feel inadequate preaching any portion of God's Word. That's certainly true. I never feel like I know it well enough or understand it well enough, but especially when I come to chapter 8, I really feel like, I hope this doesn't fall flat. <laughs> I hope God is faithful and uh, his word speaks loud and clear because this is an incredible chapter. It may be many of you's favorite chapter in the Bible. It uh, certainly is for many. It is probably one of those chapters that is more joyful and hope-filled than many other portions of scripture and maybe you've memorized portions of the chapter or the entire chapter. So Romans 8 is one of those places that we love to come. And so we get to do that this morning. And I think it's especially great to be able to spend time in Romans, but let alone Romans 8, in our day today. I know that uh, I have never experienced a more confusing time in life. Not for me personally, but in our society as a whole, I mean. And um, I know it's happened. I know now, there's nothing new. That things come and go, and, and they, and there's been a lot of darkness and blindness before. But it seems like confusion is a, at a extremely high place right now. And uh, there's nothing like God's word to cut through all that fog and just speak the truth of God. And we don't have to worry about whether it is true or not. We don't have to doubt whether it's uh, going to do its work. It is convicting, it's convincing, it's uh, absolutely going to be fulfilled, and we're thankful because, uh, as we sang, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through God's Word, as we're going to see even in these first few verses. So we're going to we're going to go through verses, we're going to slow down. I've been trying to, since I'm, we're mainly on those once-a-month rotations, um, I didn't want to take 10 years to go through Romans, so... I've been trying to do about a half a chapter at a time, uh, just for a little bit of expediency there, of, of remaining and the whole idea of the Romans being uh, put together. Uh, but we're going to slow down a little bit in chapter 8, uh, because it's uh, very rich. And so we're going to just go through verses 1 through 4 this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, so no condemnation, right? Those are incredible words. I feel like we could just camp on those two words and it would be good enough for this morning. Because uh, sometimes in my day-to-day -day I forget the immensity of all that Christ did, as Cindy was alluding to this morning with the kids, but all that Christ did for us and all that he has done 
in forgiving my sin uh, personally. But that good news of condom, no condemnation, of never having any of my sins, past, present, future, any of them ever held against me in judgment is an incredible thing. I think if you took a few seconds and just began to ponder how wonderful that is, it's it's mind-boggling. You'd just be left in awe, right? And in a place of thankfulness and joy and peace, uh, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful result of our justification of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And and there's so much that is done when Jesus won that victory through death and resurrection. Uh, just one or two of the things that was completed for us in that in those words of no condemnation, I was just thinking of is uh, in Rome, or excuse me, in First John one nine, anybody have that memorized? Yep. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you. Right? It's good to work on those and just even <laughs> spit them out. You know, if it's been a while, yeah, kind of got to work through it, right? But it's if we are if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're forgiven and we're cleansed. His work cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to do that for us. We receive the righteousness of Christ when we place our faith in Jesus. Turn to Hebrews 10 for a moment. Hebrews 10, I want to read verse 14, and we'll just read just verse 14. For by one offering, right, that offering of Christ, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, right? So so through Christ's death, we, we, in resurrection, we have righteousness, complete righteousness. And we're being sanctified. And that's what we're going to get into this morning, right? It's, it's an ongoing work. He's going to work that out in us. But we are completely declared righteous once and for all. His sacrifice was complete. And that's why we don't have to earn our salvation. Right? We don't have to do good things to try to add to what Jesus did. Right? We receive in in the, in the in the fact that we are justified in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and we are receiving that that verdict of no condemnation what do we also get we also get an inheritance right we not only are just barely saved just barely skating into heaven right and in the back row kind of thing we get an inheritance Jesus promises that all the way through the first chapter of Ephesians in uh, verses 3, 11, and 14. And um, that's one of my favorite passages is the first chapter of Ephesians. But, but we are guaranteed an inheritance as um, Christ as our brother. Right? We are given more than we could, not just forgiven, but given 
great riches in heaven to enjoy. All the riches of God's grace will be, as Ephesians describes, uh, lavishly given to us. So thankful for that. That is all no condemnation, right? No condemnation. And, and, and when we jump in here to verse 1, the question becomes, uh, who is that no condemnation pronounced upon? And why is that pronounced upon us? And it says, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Right? To those who are in Christ. And so this morning we need to figure out what it means to be in Christ and, and why there is no condemnation. And he's going to explain that. Uh, Paul is going to, he has explained that already, uh, but he's going to explain it thoroughly. And, and we're, um, by way of a little bit of overview of this little section that we're beginning uh, in, in all of chapter 8, we're really transitioning. This is a pretty good transition in chapter 8 into, uh, from him showing the gospel of what Jesus Christ accomplished into what all that does for us, right? Into our sanctification, into our being made holy, into how that impacts our lives. But but uh, no condemnation is for those that are in Christ. And it's what, and as we've already learned through chapter Three through chapter five and chapter six uh, in Romans. Here we've seen it's through faith, right? That we are acquiring that, but it is those that are in Christ. It, it, it means I'm, I'm trying not to jump ahead too far. Just excuse me. I'm kind of trying to figure out what to, where to go exactly, what to say. But um, The no condemnation in Christ shows us and demonstrates it's, it's not upon you, right? It's not upon you, it's upon him. Um, just these last, this last week, we've been hitting and missing. We've been in Washington and we've been over at Greta's mom's a lot and trying to work and help out um, parents and doing things and, and it just seems like continually, whenever you talk to people about the gospel, you run into people, um, in this case, Greta's conversation with family, of trying to earn it. Um, and, and people that are continually claiming to believe in God, claiming to know God, claiming to be saved, and claiming to be going to heaven, claim to believe in Jesus, but they're just, I'm going because I'm a good person. And there's no trust in the words of God. And what Christ has really done. It's, of course I'm going because I'm good. And um, there's just so much spiritual blindness out there and confusion. Um, and so it, it seems like we have to just continually be grounded in the foundational truths of the word that Christ did. And this no condemnation is not because you're better than your neighbor. It's not because you go to church more than your neighbor. It's 
not because you have a better, better marriage than somebody else. It's not because you attended Sunday school as a kid more. It, it, it's not because you helped out some old people. It, our justification, our no condemnation, has nothing to do with that at all. It's only for those that are in Christ, and it's because of we are in Christ that we receive that verdict of no condemnation. And being in Christ means being united to him. And we saw this quite a bit back in chapter 6. If you just glance back at chapter 6, a bunch of being in Christ is uh, spoken of when Paul was explaining this union that we have in Jesus. And if you look Let's begin in verse 3 there of chapter 6. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if you, we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. There's this, there's this union in Christ when we are trusting him through faith. We are united with him in his death. Or we're united with him in his resurrection. We become with him. A one with him. Remember, remember Jesus' prayer right before the cross as he's praying for us and praying for his disciples and all that. He says, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. What we gain, part of what we gain in that no condemnation um, is the fact that we are in Christ, and being in Christ, we become spiritually united to Jesus, to God, and we become united together. As it says in chapter 12 of Romans, verse 5, I believe, and in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, as Paul is talking about the body, right? In that union, it being in Christ, this union in Christ is uniting us together in unity as well in this union. When we are in Christ, Galatians 2.20 teaches us that Christ lives in us, right? Christ lives in us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that when we are in Christ, we become what? A new creation, right? God does a work in us and through us to make us new when we are in him. And when we are in him, it's a permanent bond. It's a permanent union. It is, it is something that we learn about in that New Covenant language, whether it be in Ezekiel or in Jeremiah, that God is doing a work. It's not just this outward law of his truth that he has given us, but he establishes that truth in us, in our hearts, giving us a new heart, and, and causing us to love all that and to cherish it and to walk in his way. And, and, what, and, and what is the instrumentality of that happening? How does that happen in your heart? Is it because you're smarter than the next guy? No. 
Is it because you just understand when you read more than the next guy? No. That comes through a working of the Holy Spirit. Right? God uses his word, and he comes in, like Jesus described to Nicodemus, like a wind. And we don't even understand it or know how it works, but God is giving us that new heart through the working of his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is who comes in and turns the lights on. Right? And gives us new breath, gives us, as we say, we're, we're, we're singing that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our ears, open our heart this morning. We just sang that. We sang it as a prayer of praise to God. Do that for us, right? God do that. God did that when He saved us. And we pray that God do it more. Right? And and sometimes I lament when I haven't been enough in his word and in prayer. Because I feel like I'm forgetting or I'm dry. Like I'm just not, I'm not thinking God's thoughts. I'm not, I'm not just in this constant communion. I'm just kind of out there by myself, right? And you're just like, it's just, things aren't flowing God's thoughts. It's my own self, right? It's just my old nature, my old fleshliness, just going about my duties. And, and then when I come back, and God brings me back through his Holy Spirit, he begins, and it just usually takes a prayer, right? God, I can't think of that verse. Bring it to my mind. Bring it to my heart. Teach me again. Show me again. And, and, and God is faithful. And sometimes he's faithful by helping me with my phone to look up a verse, too. But <laughs> God works in wonderful ways, doesn't he? So sometimes I'm just not there. And I, I go, God, okay, I need your Holy Spirit more to remind me of the things that I've read and studied and I know to be true. And uh, it, it, go to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. A part of this being in Christ and through the, and, and this is that part in, in, in Romans 8 where uh, Paul's going to start bringing in the Holy Spirit and, and showing us the working of the Holy Spirit in our life to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus. And and this, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, uh, familiar territory, but but I want to read this this morning in, the, in one passage out of Titus 3, after that, to show us this is how God is doing that, right? This is the working of God through his spirit in us. And let's, let's start in verse 12, and we'll read through 14. And, and there's a little bit bigger context that we're not going to get into totally this morning, but now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Right? So, so and, and this is um, greater context speaking, uh, yes, wisdom, but the things that God is going to give us, when we get to heaven, uh, of that inheritance, he's just it, it, all the the truth of God in that wisdom of God given us through the Holy Spirit. But but that's how we that's how we come to receive. That's how we come to accept. That's how we come to cherish. That's how we come to believe in God's word and to know God's truth is through the working of His Holy Spirit. Uh, and it, it's not something we can just get on our own. It's not something we can just read it and, oh, I got it now. 
right? And, and I've described before that intellectual knowledge versus that receiving and believing the truth of God's word. Um, so many times we can share God's word and people can say, yes, I get that, I understand that he died on the cross. And somehow that's supposed to be attributed, but they don't believe it and they don't trust it and they don't love it and, and receive it. It's a totally different thing and this is brought through the working of God's Holy Spirit. Turn to Titus 3. This is one of the great little passages in, in Titus chapter 3. And, and Paul is teaching about how God works in his mercy of salvation. And I want to start in verse 4 through verse 7. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Right? And that's an incredible little passage in Titus there, and there's quite a few little treasures there in the short book of Titus. But, but how does that happen? How does salvation and light being turned on and no condemnation happen? It happens by the mercy of God, not by our works, but through the working of God, sending his Holy Spirit into our hearts to cause us to be born again, to be birthed spiritually. All right? And so we need to remember uh, as John said in 1 John 4, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And John referring there, probably very specifically to the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus promised us in John uh, 12 and 14, 16 different places there that, that God the Father would send the Holy Spirit to work in us. And that's a part of being in Christ and receiving no condemnation. Now the, now, the second half of verse 1, as I read in the New King James here, probably some of you, if you're reading the New American Standard or the ESV or another translation, might not have had that little, uh, that little phrase, you do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That little section there, you probably see a note in your, in your if you have a center column or, or, or a reference Bible, that that is not in the earliest manuscripts, and so it's not in the ESV or or the New American Standard, which uses those earlier manuscripts. Uh, it's in the later manuscripts that is picked up by the King James, uh, and the New King James also following suit with those later manuscripts, taking the whole of the manuscripts. And so it's, it's, it's probably not in the original, and I want to say that not to confuse you or scare you, but it's in verse 4, right? And it's probably just a textual transcribing error later on, where, the guy, where whoever was writing that, saw it in verse 4 there, and we didn't have the verses and stuff, but then copied it a second time into the second half of verse 1. doesn't change anything. It's the exact same little phrase, just a redundancy, right? And doesn't change the meaning of anything, but but just wanted to bring that to your attention if your Bible didn't have that when I read it. You're like, what's that about? So he's got more. That Bible's more holy. It's got more words. So, but no, it's just, it's just that that's one of those few textual things from later on in history that we have 
And, and it's good to know that, to be able to explain that sometimes when people want to try to bring up apparent contradictions or apparent errors and stuff in our word. So, thankful for notes like that. So verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So, so there's this, Paul goes on to say, hey, we have no condemnation, right, In when we're in Christ Jesus. Those that are in Christ have no condemnation, and the spirit of life, right, the the, the Holy Spirit, there's this law of the spirit of life, and, and let me just stop there for a sec. This law of the spirit of life and this law of sin and death is, it's it's Paul's phrasing here, and he does it several times in his works, where it's it, it's kind of like saying, this is the way things go. This is the mode of operation. This is how things play out, right? Uh, this is the, the, the working here. And so he's saying, the, the, the spirit of life, in Christ Jesus, right? The, the Holy Spirit, His working frees us from the law of sin, frees us from sin and death, frees us from the way that sin and death works in us naturally, right? When we were in Adam, before we were in Christ, when we were when we are when we are united to our covenant head Adam, we were in in, in under sin and death, and the Spirit frees us. From that, from that captivity, right? When we are united to Christ, and we've talked about this before, when we were married to him, as we looked at in, in chapter 6, in the beginning of chapter 7, um, being united to him uh, is what frees us. And so the Spirit comes in and grants us, according to Acts chapter 1, what's the Holy Spirit do? He gives us power, right? Power to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit gives us power over sin, right? We, as we saw in chapter 7, we still fall, right? We still fall flat on our faces in sin once in a while, right? We still just struggle in our Christian lives, and it's a real struggle, and we continue with that until the day we die. We're never free totally, we're never totally perfect until we see Christ face to face in heaven. But, the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we have an excuse for our sin at all. Because the Holy Spirit is there to give us the power and the strength to overcome sin that we did not have before. We are given that victory and all the grace, if you want to read through Hebrews, all the, the grace necessary when we go to the throne and say, God, I need strength, I need power, I need help, right? He gives us everything that we need. And uh, Peter, it's also kind of combining Hebrews there also with Peter as well. All that we need for a life of godliness is given to us, right? And we are free from the law of sin and death. But, but verse 3 says to us, the law couldn't do it. The law could not give you no condemnation. The law, so there's no strength there. It's weak through the flesh. What, is, what, is, what does Paul mean that, that? That the law was weak through the flesh. We know very clearly from the last chapter, chapter 7, 
Verse 12, the law is holy, the commandment is holy and just and good. He's not knocking on God's word. God's word is perfect and holy as we read Psalm 19. We read all the way through God's word. It's holy and just, and we've established that. But he's saying the, the law of God has no power to save you in your flesh. You can't do it. You have no strength to live a holy life. It's impossible. Right? There's no, the, 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 the written law of God grants you no power to be sinless. Right? To earn your salvation. And so, uh, it was weak through the flesh. God did it. God had to do it through Jesus Christ by attending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Right? Christ had to earn that. And there's probably... This is one of the best verses. Verse 3 is probably one of the best verses for us understanding the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus, God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So, so our verdict of no condemnation is because there was condemnation. That condemnation was placed on Jesus when our sin was on him, right? When he took that upon himself, he came in the likeness of it. Jesus wasn't sinful, right? We know that. He was holy, just, pure. He lived that perfect life. He took on that full cup of wrath from his father. He took on the sin of all who would place their faith in him so that it would be condemned on him. Right? That, that substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ is seen right here in verse 3. Like Isaiah 53 says, like the Lord laid on him our iniquity. Right? The Father put all of our iniquity on his Son. It, it, it's like when you think about in the Old Testament, every time the priest on the Day of Atonement went and laid his hands on the bull. Right? They would, or when they brought their sin offering to the temple, and, and he would lay his hands in there representing what? That transfer of sin, right? And they would kill it and sacrifice it. And there was that transfer going on there in picture form of what Jesus did in reality. Jesus was that lamb for us, slain, right? He was that sin offering for us. But it's never ceases to amaze me how many times that people can take this truth and the sin in our hearts can so easily sneak up and twist this into a man-centered work theology. Right? So sneaky, so pervasive across the globe, you can take God's free gift and turn it into, I have to do something. Right? And, and that's where, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees when he said, and you got to remember, the Pharisees were really good people. Good quotes, right? Really good people. Very religious, devoted people. Memorized more scripture than all of us put together, bar none. I mean, just like crazy new scripture. They had God's word. They devoted their lives to memorizing it. 
and they twisted it to where Jesus said to them, you're sons of the devil. You don't know God. You know how big of a slap in the face of you if, if somebody came to you and said, you don't know God? Like, what? That's everything to me is knowing God. And he would go up to a religious priest and say, you don't even know God. You're of your father, the devil. Right? That's, that's incredibly, it doesn't give me harsher language than that. Right? But that, that just goes to show you can take this very word and twist it into worse. And, and Paul says, curse is everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law to perform them in Galatians 3. Turn to Galatians 3, actually, for a moment. We're just going to do that just for a second. I don't want to just quote stuff without you seeing it there. Let's, let's go to the end of chapter 3 of Galatians, 21 and 22. This helps see what all that Christ did and how the, word, uh, the, the law couldn't do it. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. But but there was no, verse 21 to 22, there was no law that could be given that would bring life. Right? Otherwise, righteous, righteousness, if that was true, righteousness, you could earn it through by keeping the law, if there was a law that could have done that. But, but it just is not possible. God didn't create it that way. God didn't design it. To bring life, the law, keeping the law. He designed it to point out that we needed atonement, that we needed a sacrifice, that we needed Jesus Christ to condemn sin in the flesh, verse 4 now of Romans 8, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 4, what is, what is Paul saying there? This is the because that is evidence because. This is, this is uh, he condemns him in the flesh that, and when I say because, I mean that the righteous requirement, that or because or therefore. Paul is saying, okay, Jesus did it. You couldn't do it. That righteous requirement of law was fulfilled through Jesus, for you, how do we know who that's given to? Those that walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. This is the evidence game, right? And he's going to go through that more in chapter 8. This is that proof in the pudding type stuff, right? This is, this is not earning, of course. He's not doubling down on and taking that back. He's saying... Who are those that are in Christ that have no condemnation? Those that follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's their lifestyle. That's their, we know we fall into sin, but 
by and large, believers, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Then I select you, right? Every believer given the Holy Spirit, right? The point of new birth. That's what that's who's doing it. And we are given the ability, we're given the will, we're given the 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 joy, we're giving the given the heart to follow him. And that is the character of Christian. The character of Christian is the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word, and we say yes and amen. That's what I want my life to be like. That's the road I'm on. That's where I'm going. That's a change from my old man. This is the way and what I'm doing. I'm on a path toward practical righteousness. I'm declared holy and I'm walking it out. I want to follow my Lord and Savior, right? Not just my Savior. I'm following my Lord and Savior. Let's just close with a few verses that are going to show this, this truth of that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Walking according to the Spirit looks like, let's go back to Ephesians. Back to Ephesians, we'll go to chapter 4 for a sec. 17 to 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, but in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's how you were made new. You were made new in true righteousness and holiness. And you're to, you're to be renewed and to walk accordingly. Not like you used to walk. Not like the world walks and all of the sin that they chase. We are called to put that away because it's ignorant and blind and we are to walk according to God's will and God's ways through the leading of his Holy Spirit. Go to 1 John. Toward the end there in 1 John chapter 1. We were already in verse 9. We're going to back up just a couple verses into verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All right? This is a further description of, we, we, we read later, how the forgiveness and the cleansing. But here, we are called to walk in the light. We sang about the light this morning as well. Right? But we have fellowship with one another. That's that, that union that we have being in Christ. We are united spiritually to one another. We're to walk together in that, in the blood of Jesus. Right? And that is a part of our new life. Let's finish up with Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? So that grace of God appears, he brings salvation to us, and he teaches us to walk the walk, right? To be led by the Spirit, to deny ungodliness, worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. And this present age is always evil, right? So we walk godly. We deny it, we put off the old man, and we walk in righteousness and holiness. That's what we're called to. With that, let's pray. Father, just thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the, the, the justification that no condemnation that we find because of Jesus Christ. We're so indebted and thankful and grateful to you for what you did by granting us your Holy Spirit and giving us the ability to place our faith in Jesus Christ. We're seeing him as our treasure, as the love of our lives. Father, we live in confusing times. People are ever seemingly to be more and more confused. Father, we, we have the only thing that will bring clarity, that will bring lights turning on for people. For we have the only fix for our country, for our communities, for people's lives. And that is the word through the working of your Holy Spirit. So Father, we ask that you would just pour over our land. Help us to be your instruments to walk the walk and to be able to spread your truth. Father, we just we need your strength in that and we long to see mighty things happen from you. In Jesus' name we pray.